Welcome to the Storytime Clinic, where children's books and health collide. I am your host, Dr. Mfon Warren, and every week I spotlight a children's book featuring a character with a health condition. My goal is to inspire conversations that will help all of us better understand and support kids with health conditions. Have you ever focused so hard on a goal that you lost sight of other important things going on in your life? I know that for many of us who went through medical school, we struggled with this. We focused hard on studying and passing tests, learning an overwhelming amount of information so that we could take good care of our patients. And these were good goals. They were necessary, important goals. But sometimes they came at the cost of missed family events, phone calls that were returned two months after, less time for important friendships and relationships. So we were always navigating that balance. And, you know, many of us still are. Well, this idea of balance is a central theme in today's book. A family hopes for a medication that can cure their son's seizures, but it comes with cost, and they have to decide if that cost is worth it. So what are we reading today? The book is called What the Wind Can Tell You by Sarah Marie Jett. And I hope I'm saying her last name right. What I can tell you is that this is an incredible book on so many levels. It is absolutely going on my favorite shelf. I'm not even sure where to start from, but I'm going to take a bit of a detour and talk about seizures first, and then we can come back to the book. When most of us think about seizures, we probably imagine a person lying unconscious on the floor with both arms and legs shaking uncontrollably. This is one type of seizure, a generalized seizure because it involves the whole body, but there are many types of seizures. They don't always involve the whole body. They can be focused on one part, your hand jerking, an eye twitching, a lip smacking. Those are called focal seizures because they focus on one part of the body. A person may not always completely lose consciousness with a seizure either. Sometimes seizures are barely noticeable. With one particular common type of childhood seizure, children are usually thought to be daydreaming or not paying attention because there's no dramatic movements involved. Uh, the kid may just be staring off into space. So sometimes it might take time for a seizure to really come to medical attention. So what happens when a person has a seizure? Seizures happen when there's a change in the way the brain normally functions. So there's a change in the normal electrical activity of the brain or chemical makeup of the brain. And this causes abnormal signals to be sent out to the body, which we can sometimes see in terms of those uncontrolled movements or altered consciousness. Seizures can be caused by an acute problem, something like an infection or a fever. They can also be caused by anything that causes injury to the brain. If someone has had a trauma or been in an accident. And then other times they may be caused by the brain forming abnormally during the process of development or can be caused by a genetic reason. 
There are other times when there's just not really a clear reason for a seizure happening. Up to 5% of kids will have one seizure at some point in their childhood before they turn 18. We call it epilepsy when a person has more than one seizure that is unexplained, and we think they might continue to have seizures in the future. With childhood seizures, most children actually grow out of their seizures by the time they're adults. So more than two-thirds of children will grow out of their seizures by the time they're adults. For some people, it's important to take medications to stop the seizures from happening again. And everyone is a little bit different. So for some people, their seizures can be very easily controlled with medications, and others might have a hard time with ongoing seizures, even while on several medications. This is the situation for Julian, the character in our book, What the Wind Can Tell You. Julian is 15 years old, and he's had seizures almost daily since he was a baby, for reasons that no one can quite figure out. He also has other pretty significant medical needs. He is wheelchair-bound. He cannot communicate with words. He needs a feeding tube through his stomach for meals. And he even has a hospital bed at home, the kind where the head of the bed needs to be raised up. And this is because he can't swallow well. So being able to do that makes it less risky for him when he's laying down. And this is probably the first book that I've read that shows a child with this level of medical need. Before becoming a doctor, I wasn't really aware that there were children like this because I didn't have any personal experience. But now working as a pediatrician, I I see children like this all the time in the hospital. So I thought it was really exciting to see this type of representation in a children's book, in a fictional book, and just for people to be able to get a glimpse into the life of this family. So Julian has multiple seizures every day, and usually they're short, lasting less than a minute. But the book opens up with Julian having a big seizure, a generalized uh, convulsive, a shaking seizure, one that lasts so long that he needs to be taken to the hospital where he stays for a week. So you're kind of dropped right into the action from the get-go. You're right in the living room along with them. They're feeling the emotions that the characters are feeling as they witness the seizure, as they count how long the seizure is lasting, um, as the anxiety rises as the seizure is lasting longer and longer, and they need to call the ambulance, and they need to go to the hospital. So it draws you right into the story from the get-go. The book is actually told from the perspective of Julian's younger sister, Isabel. And I love this because the book explores the challenges and the triumphs of being a sibling of a child who needs a lot of medical attention. Isabel has been helping with Julian's care since she was young. She learned how to work his feeding machine when she was seven. And this is a quote from the book. After years of watching Julian seize, listening to the beep, beep, beep of his feeding machine, watching Mama and Papa juggle all that comes with having a kid like Julian, I wanted to help. I wanted to make Julian feel better. 
So throughout the book, you can see how much she loves her brother, and she so easily steps into the role of a caregiver when her mother is not around. She helps track Julian's seizures. She does therapies with him. She does his medications. And this is something that is observed when her tia Lucia, her auntie, comes to visit this is, by the way, a Mexican-American family, so you might hear me practicing some of my Spanish here. <laughs> my apologies. So Hartia says, I feel it is my duty to state an important observation. I have noticed Isabel isn't getting enough attention. Every time I look around, she's taking care of her brother. She needs time for herself. And Tia Lucia really does make it her duty to pay special attention to Isabel because she senses that most of the time Isabel's parents are preoccupied with Julian. And this is a situation that happens frequently with siblings of sick children or those who've had a serious illness. Parents understandably spend so much time worrying about that child and caring for that child that sometimes they have less time to pay attention to the child who's healthy. But of course, that child has their own needs, their own emotional needs, and uh, sometimes those needs aren't being met. And this can sometimes lead to resentment between the siblings. So Isabel's mom asks at one point, she says, Isabel, you tell me if you felt overlooked, if you felt like we asked too much of you, right? And Isabel promises that she would, but she never does tell her mom. Part of the magic of this book is that there are moments when Isabel and Julian are able to travel in their dreams together and spend time in this fantasy world called Las Prisas, where Julian can communicate and do things that he normally doesn't do in real life. And through their sibling conversations here, the author gives space for Isabel to tell her side of the story a bit more. So we see how her parents have missed out on the things that she tells them, missed out on celebrating her achievements sometimes because they have been focused on Julian. Her parents miss the biggest basketball game of her life when Julian is sick. And then when she tries to talk about it, her mom calls her selfish for being disappointed that they weren't there. Despite all of this, Isabel doesn't really harbor any resentment towards Julian in this story. In fact, she's his biggest advocate. While her tia Lucia sometimes sees Julian as a burden, Isabel thinks of creative ways to include him in her activities. While her abuelo, her grandfather, has never been comfortable around Julian and always seems to be mourning the things that he's not able to do, Isabel makes a point of showing her grandfather all the things that Julian is capable of doing. And this goes back to some of the ideas we talked about in our first episode on physical disability, about being able to focus on the abilities rather than the disabilities, and being able to see the possibilities in every individual. And Isabel does that in such an organic and um, approachable way in the story. Isabel is also able to advocate for Julian when it comes to his medications. On this new medicine, Julian's seizures are getting better, 
But Julian gets to the point where he's asleep most of the time and missing out on everything that's happening around him. For Julian's mother, the medicine has been a victory. Her life has revolved around tracking his seizures for so long, for 15 years. So when all of a sudden he's having less and less seizures every day, she's filled with this fragile kind of hope, you know, that this is the magic medication that is going to cure his seizures forever. However, Isabel is not so sure. Isabel is the one who has been paying attention to all the things that Julian is capable of doing despite his obvious disabilities. She is attuned to Julian's unique way of being engaged in the world. And so she notices when those things are missing. She says, Julian used to be able to do so many things, and now he can't anymore. And it's not because of his seizures, it's because he's sleeping all the time. So there's that tension between um, what is really best for Julian. Julian's mom states that, Julian almost had a day without seizures. And Isabel responds, But Mama, Julian almost had a day without smiling, without playing, without laughing, without having any fun. And in the end, they have to make a choice about what is best for Julian's quality of life. This book was very emotional. I felt so much for the family. You know, you can tell right from the opening of the book how much fear and uncertainty revolved around Julian's seizures, the whirlwind of emotions with every new treatment tried, with every hospital stay. Julian's mom explains, things were very scary in the beginning, Isabel, when Julian was first diagnosed. Bad brain scans, bad bouts of pneumonia that wouldn't go away, visits to the doctor that turned into week-long stays in the hospital. Things are much better now, but remembering all that is part of what makes me afraid. And so she acknowledges how her past experiences continue to affect her every day and continue to drive the decisions that she makes about him. A lot of this book takes place uh, in the family home. And so you really, really get to see how Julian's condition shapes Uh, the family dynamics, how it shapes their daily activities. Um, And so the book has a couple of pages in which we get to sit in on a doctor's visit um, when Julian's mom takes him to see the neurologist and um, kind of update him on how the new seizure medication is going. And number one, it highlights that idea that what we see of the family as medical professionals is oftentimes the smallest little window into their lives, and we rarely get the whole picture. And the second part of that was that during the appointment, the only thing they really focused on was how many seizures Julian had had. And they didn't talk about his quality of life. They didn't really talk about the fact that he was sleeping a lot. And so even though this is a kid's book, I would actually really recommend it for medical professionals, especially those in training. I think it's such an important uh, depiction of the impact of the choices that we make in the medical office and how significant they can be for a patient's life outside. And we need to be aware 
of that power. We need to be aware of how the choices we make affect a patient's quality of life. And we need to make more of an effort to put that at the forefront of what we're doing. So just to wrap it up, my takeaways, number one, get this book. Number two, read this book. Number three, talk about this book. <laughs> that's that's about all that I'm going to say on this. And if you do read it, please let me know. I would love to know what you think about it. Um, at the end of the day, this book was about so much more than seizures. And I think that it can spark so many important conversations about life, about healthcare, about quality of life. Um, but getting back to the seizures, in the show notes, I will link to another book called Mina Meets Her Match. And it, this book shows a very different depiction of seizures. Uh, it focuses on a eight-year-old, I believe she's eight-year-old, a young girl who has absent seizures where it might just look like staring or daydreaming or not paying attention. So we go with her through the process of going to the hospital and them trying to figure out the cause of her seizures and just how that feels for her. Um, again, that uncertainty of not quite understanding what is going on with your body. And so I think that that was a pretty good book as well um, and a different perspective on seizures. I am also on the lookout for a good book with a teenage character with epilepsy. This is an age group that is usually kind of striking out on their own, finding their independence. And, you know, there's particular teenagery behaviors that can be triggers for seizures, such as lack of sleep, um, use of alcohol or drugs. Um, and then there's also important sometimes restrictions that come with a diagnosis of seizures or epilepsy um, that might preclude teenagers from being involved in the activities that they would typically enjoy. Um, so some sports may be off of limits, swimming, um, driving for a certain period of time after having a seizure. So I think in this age group, epilepsy can have some unique challenges. And I would really be interested in seeing how that plays out in a book. So if I find a good option here, I will update my show notes to include that. All right, this is the end of episode number three. For the show notes and links to the books I cover in this episode, please head over to the podcast website at www.storytimeclinic.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and share this podcast with other people who may be interested. I'd also love to hear from you if you have book suggestions or health topics you'd like to see me cover. If you want to give me some feedback and help me make this podcast more valuable for you, I would also love to hear from you. You can leave a review on iTunes or send me an email at thestorytimeclinic at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and I will see you in the next episode.